Hello everyone, welcome to Bunker Mania Wrestling. I am Jeremy Gray's Flying Solo, and I am recording this podcast just before midday on the 26th of June, the morning after Forbidden Door, the collaboration event by AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling that took place at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Canada. I am recording this in my hotel room in Toronto because I was at the show last night. And the objective of this podcast is not to go through the entire show and give my review, if you will, of everything that happened, but I just wanted to document some of my thoughts and feelings on the show, perhaps my experiences in some way, shape, or form, perhaps some things that you didn't see on the television broadcast, which I've not actually seen the television broadcast. I've seen maybe the odd clip here and there on Twitter and stuff, so I can't speak to how it was on TV versus live, but I can certainly give you my perspective from being there in person. If you are a first-time listener and or watcher of Bunker Mania Wrestling, thank you very much for giving the show a chance. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, why not hit that like button or hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice, or if you're watching the video version on YouTube, of which, hi YouTube, hope you're doing okay. So, Forbidden Door 2023. I made the decision to come to this when it was announced. And the reason that I did that is because I just had a feeling they were going to do Omega and Osprey round two. I just had a feeling. And then I think it was literally like a couple of days after they then announced that All in London was going to happen. And it was part of me thinking, oh no, might they hold it off for that? But they may still do for all we know, but we'll have to wait and see on that front. But Forbidden Door, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I made the best decision coming here. I have zero regrets. This show was fantastic. It was, including the pre-show, five hours long. And my head is feeling it this morning. I don't drink alcohol, so I'm not drunk or anything like that or hungover. It's literally because I was cheering and shouting so much. I've just done a number on my body, as it were. So if I also sound a bit hoarser than usual, that is why. So, before I get into sort of some of the stuff inside, I want to talk about sort of outside the venue and the feeling around the Scotiabank Arena, because I got there, so doors were meant to open at 6, they opened at about 6.15 for point of reference, and I got there maybe around half 4 just to kind of get, scope up the atmosphere, get in the queue as it were, because I wanted to try and get some merch, of which if you're watching the video version you can see the the t-shirt behind me saying that I was there. That's part one of the merch options that there were there. So I wanted to kind of scope out and talk to some people and kind of gauge where people had come from from the show and such. And I was there with a good buddy of mine, Adam, and we both flown in from the UK. We had met someone else by the name of James who had flown in from the UK, also top gentleman as well. So we were kind of getting a lay of the land, as it were, and trying to figure out, you know, how far and wide people had travelled in from. People had travelled in from, I think it was Buffalo, New York, which is roughly a couple of hours' drive once you sort of go through the border and such. People had travelled in from other parts of the US and Canada. But also, there were more people from Europe there. There were definitely some more English people there, as in British people, I should be more specific. And there was also someone there and a couple of people from farther afield. Like, someone I was speaking to had travelled from Pakistan to be at the show last night when we were queuing up to get in. So that is how much of an impression this event was having on people on a global scale. When the doors finally opened at around 6.15, there was a rush to the merch stand, but good job on AEW, they actually decided to sell merch outside the venue before doors actually opened. So it meant there wasn't as much of a giant crush as it were for merch, but it still meant the lines were massively long, but I actually got that t-shirt, so I got got one outside, and I also picked up a second one inside as well, because you know, when in Toronto, buy two shirts, I guess. 
So let's get to sort of what happened inside the arena. I got to my seat and I'd also been at Collision the night before, which I'm probably going to do some more thoughts on Collision specifically, be it at the end of this podcast or I might upload it as a separate one. I haven't decided yet. So roll with me as I'm having a stream of consciousness here. And one of the interesting things was my view was very similar to what it was at Collision, but I was more on a corner angle, sort of more towards where the production side was, as it were, the hard camera side, as it were, the primary camera. And this was a fantastic view all night long. It gave me a really unique perspective on all of the action. And it also meant that in terms of sort of, it also meant that my seat, quite frankly, was at the back of the lower tier. So I was in the lower tier, but I was in the back row. But it also meant I could stand up all night. And I did that and had a whale of a time, to say the least. So one of the first things that actually occurred was before doors opened, and that was Tony Khan announcing that Adam Cole would not be able to compete because he had gone down with some kind of illness, which, based on me having watched the post-match media scrum, sounds like he's got a flu or something, so that really sucks to hear, but hopefully he'll recover from it quickly. So his match with Tom Lawler was called off, but we kind of all assumed that Tom Lawler may still be involved on the show in some way. He ended up having a bonus match before the pre-show Zero Hour began, and he had a match against Serpentico, which went about five, six minutes, probably. I didn't actually time it specifically. Just kind of a quick showcase for Tom Lawler more than anything. He picked up the win on that. The cameras were rolling, so I'm going to assume that match will surface online at some point, but who knows in, this, in, in the grand scheme of things. When it came to the pre-show, really easy watching. Again, not going to go through all of the matches on there, but every match was really good fun. But I think the peak of it was when it got to Los Ingrenables de Japón, LIJ for short, the, the, the United Empire, the final six-man tag match before the main show began proper. That was, in my opinion, when, when the, the pre-show peaked and people were really, really up for this show as soon as sort of the lights were going down we knew it was about to start we knew we were going to be in for quite the ride and man were we the overall vibe of this show was just fantastic everyone who was there was more than up for being there everyone was really into it around where i was sitting it was quite an interesting mix of people in that there was a group of people right next to me who i was talking with throughout most of the evening who all of them watch AEW. One or two of them were really into New Japan as well. And there was one who just, quite frankly, was aware of a couple of people from New Japan, i.e. the bigger stars like Atanahashi and Okada, for example, but but wasn't necessarily very aware of all the goings-on, what everybody does moves-wise and such. So for them, it was quite an experience in almost having a taster of New Japan Pro Wrestling in person in this very unique collaborative event. But the reason they actually went to the event, they told me, was because they just love going to big wrestling shows and they didn't want to pass up the opportunity just because there were likely going to be a lot of people he wasn't as familiar with. So I sort of got to get their thoughts on it as well, and that kind of comes into play a little bit later on with some thoughts on how the show progresses. MJF and Tanahashi was a really fun opener. MJF just being a wonderful heel. It was kind of obvious that Tanahashi wasn't going to win the belt, but I was still cheering for Tanahashi, and it was great fun. That said, Canada freaking love MJF, so he was basically a babyface in this match. I don't know if that came across in on the TV broadcast, but that is certainly how it was inside the building. 
Next up was CM Punk and Satoshi Kojima. Punk, this is Punk's first match, actually, singles match, I should say, since he returned from injury, and also was the, the night after he had wrestled in the eight-man tag main event of Collision. So, kind of an interesting litmus test to see how he was doing physically. And this was great fun again as well. I don't think anyone had any inkling of doubt that Punk was going to win this match, but it was really good fun. Really good fun. From some of the clips I've seen doing the rounds on Twitter, it, Punk had some like interesting dialogue to say towards the cameras, so I will probably definitely go back and re-watch this just to try and gauge all of that. But this was really good fun live. The crowd really on Punk. In terms of a split of the crowd, there are definitely vocal punk fans in that crowd. A lot of people anti-punk, if you will. So that was very un that was very unsurprising based on the collision reaction. But given that this building was now sold out compared to just, I would say maybe two thirds of the lower bowl having people in it last night at, at the night before, I should say at collision. It kind of just amplified that more than anything, and punk played into it, which was really good fun as well. Up next, one of my favourite matches on the show was the four-way match for the international title. Orange Cassidy versus Shibata, Daniel Garcia, and Zack Sabre Jr. This really got the crowd going, and that's not to say that the opening two matches on the main show hadn't, but they were very... They were a completely different dynamic, as in just being singles matches, but very defined heels i'll say like the bad guy if you will very very defined in who people were likely going to be cheering or booing from the crowd perspective this one it was just so much stuff going on and such great fun really 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 fun match in terms of who was being cheered the loudest difficult to say but i think there was a collective feeling that maybe cassidy was actually going to lose the title ultimately didn't but it certainly teased a few more matches in particular Zack and Orange Cassidy, from my perspective, is the one that I noticed that was getting teased. And this sort of actually plays into one of my other thoughts on the show in terms of production setup, because they had the big screen above the ring, if you will, so the one that's actually mounted into the arena in general. And they were playing the footage on that, but I was trying to always focus on the ring specifically. And there were a couple of moments when I glanced up and you know, I sort of saw a couple of the, the nuances that maybe we wouldn't necessarily have picked up from being at the vantage point I was. And some of it was just the little interactions of things between like Zack and Orange and when Shibata and Zack were going at it as well, just kind of glancing up at the screen occasionally. Such, such, such good fun this match. Definitely one of the standout matches on the show. Next up, this uh, this was an interesting experience because it was for the IWGP title and it was Sonada, the IWGP champion, defending it against Jungle Boy. Now, when it came to the introductions, I people can correct me if I'm wrong because again I've not rewatched, but Justin Roberts, the English the English ring announcer, announced him very specifically as Jungle Boy, whereas I'm pretty sure the Japanese ring announcer just announced him as Jack Perry. Which is an interesting dynamic. I'm not sure if that was a conscious decision on New Japan's part to call him Jack Perry specifically, but it was a very interesting, just a very interesting note. And I thought, hmm, okay, I wonder if that's just because New Japan think, no, Jack Perry will be a bit more respected from a Japanese audience perspective. But um, but it was still very interesting, no, interesting to note, of which I've got to say, the dynamic of having the English ring announcer and the Japanese ring announcer at the show was so, so good and such good fun. Hearing the New Japan announcer just going whole hog, announcing every, every single person's name, just 
perfect. Freaking love it. So, so good. I really enjoyed this match, and this was an example where the person, the group of people sitting next to me, and the guy who wasn't as familiar with New Japan, he really was not familiar with Sonata at all, and kind of wasn't into the match that much because of it. But I was kind of explaining a few things here and there, and I think he kind of got a better appreciation for it. But ultimately, this match, did, from my perspective, it didn't necessarily land very well with the crowd. I mean, even the referee, Red Shizuno, was the most over person in the match, because everyone was just delighted to see him there, quite frankly. So that kind of set the tone very early on for how people were perceiving this match. Though I was actually really looking forward to it, because I thought they were going to have great chemistry. And I feel they did. Ultimately, it kind of did just feel like it finished out of nowhere, if memory serves. Again, not watched it back, so I don't remember the exact ending sequence, if you will. But then Sonata went backstage, and one of the curious things at this point from us in the building was after every match had finished, there would probably be, say, like, the, the ring area would be darkened down from a lighting perspective, and they would show the graphic on the big screen of what was next or cut to a, an appropriate video package. With this, we could see that they were cutting to the announcer's table, and that, that clearly something was being said, which we couldn't hear. But the bigger part was that they did not dim the lighting area, and you could very clearly see that there was a cameraman focusing on Jack Perry and Hook walking up the ramp. And you kind of thought, okay, something a bit different. Is something about to occur here, maybe? And then it did, and Jack Perry turned on Hook, attacked him, held up the FTW Championship belt, and then sort of threw it down. And it was what people wanted, quite frankly. It got a really good reaction in the building. Again, not to just say I kind of I kind of saw it happening from a live building perspective. It was more because of the angle I was sitting at. I couldn't not notice that, that kind of production-y stuff. And it is elements of television production in general that I am interested in. But this got a really good reaction in the building of him turning, especially on Hook, who people love. So... This is clearly a direction we're going in long-term now, and I am all for that. I don't know what Taz was saying on commentary. Again, not seen it back. But it was very clear, based on the pictures we could see on the big screen, Taz was not happy. You know when Taz isn't happy? When he takes his glasses off. That's when you know he's not a happy camper, as it were. But then next, we got one of the matches of the night. The 10-man tag match with Hangman Page, the Young Bucks... Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii against the Blackpool Combat Club, John Moxley, Wheeler Yuta, Claudio Castagnoli, Shota Umino, and Konosuke Takeshita. I, this match was such good fun. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, their interaction was phenomenal. Takeshita and Ishii's interactions were phenomenal. I need a singles match between those two. Someone book that. Please, I need to see this match. This match was near perfect. I think there was one very obvious moment where something went awry, and I think it was a double-team move that involved one of the Young Bucks trying to hit like a top-rope cutter on Wheeler Yuta, and something just went off, but it didn't affect the crowd, because quite frankly, Yuta still flew halfway across the ring, and it be, obviously it would still hurt. It just didn't land exactly as one perhaps would have intended. So this match is phenomenal. There, there is way too much to recount in terms of what happened, but just everything about this was such good fun in the building. Hopefully that came across on TV, because occasionally AEW perhaps doesn't have a very good way of miking things, is maybe one way of phrasing that, but it was just 
so, so good. And when, in the end, I think in the end it was Paige went, Hangman Page went for the buckshot lariat and then Ishii hit the brain buster, I think it was, on Yuta, if memory serves. This match was just so damn good. And I think Takeshita's star rose even more, of which as well, I don't know if the New Japan audience specifically will be as familiar with Takeshita. He certainly left an impression when he almost just knocked the heck out Tomohiro Ishii with that elbow shot fairly early on in the match. I And there was clear signs they want to do a singles match involving those two. So it was really, really good fun. Also, John Moxley coming out to his New Japan music, kind of the more subdued music, was a really cool touch. It kind of sort of gave that impression of, oh man... We're, something's going down here, this is going to be great fun, and it flipping well was. Next up was the AEW Women's World title match, Tony Storm against Willow Nightingale. Now, from speaking to people around me, a lot of people had decided that, and forgive the way I'm going to phrase this, I'm kind of repeating what they said, if they were going to go for a pee break at any point during the show, <clears throat> excuse me, they had highlighted it was probably going to be either during the CM Punk match or during the women's match. But people were very clear to say to me, they're assuming one of those two matches will be later in the show, and whichever one it ultimately is, that's the time they're going to go. Because they actually, they, quite frankly, one of them very bluntly said, I don't give an F about Punk. I will happily miss his match to go for a pee break. But I want to time it for later in the show, so I can sort of see the final hour, if you will, and a bit of the show uninterrupted is how they put it to me unfortunately this is where tony storm and willow nightingale came into play and a lot of people clearly had the same thought because there were so many people leaving to go for a pee break to go to the concessions and whatnot it was actually quite angering and there were actually a lot of people around me as well even going why are you going now like why but you know it it really, really sucks. And I enjoyed this match. This was really good fun. Willow is such a wonderfully infectious personality. Ultimately, Tony Storm got the win. And they still gave it their all, quite frankly. This was still a really fun match, like I say. But you couldn't not notice just how many people had gone to the concessions at this point in the show. So that was a really sucky part about this from a live event perspective. But it was still a really good match. I do, I do encourage everyone to actually make sure you watch it and don't just skip it because it was very good fun. Then next up, Kenny Omega, Will Ospreay. This is probably the greatest wrestling match experience I've ever had. Now, I had made a conscious decision because I'm a big fan of both Ospreay and Omega. I couldn't decide who I wanted to cheer for if I was going to. So I had already made a decision going into the event, I'm not going to cheer for either. Also, partly because I don't know how the Canadian fans might respond to me being perhaps a lone Will Ospreay cheerer, as it were, should I have made that decision. But either way, this match was incredible. I was into I was chanting for both guys, quite frankly. But the thing that became very clear very early on was this was the equivalent, if we talk about it in football or to our American listeners' soccer terms, this was the equivalent of a really big game, a really big football match. It's the most heated rivalry in the league. The championship is on the line. And it's all or nothing in this. 
and this is the this is the match where Will Ospreay is the away team, and there are just hardly any of the away team fans there, and it's just dominated by home fans. The re- the crowd reaction in this match was bonkers. There was a moment when Will Ospreay grabbed the Canadian flag from someone in the front row and started t- doing a, some gestures with it, let's say, and, and movements with it, and the guy next to me was not happy. Yes, he was a bit pissed at this point, having drunk a load of alcohol, but he was taking great exception to this. And at that point, he was firmly against Osprey. He was sort of chanting like, F you, Osprey. I know you're still damn good, but F you. So it was... This this match... It's really difficult to put into words what this was truly like live. It was a... It was just... I... I was ha- almost had hands in my, uh, like just by my head most of the times, like clutching my head at what they were they were doing to each other, as it were, the moves they were hitting. I sc- I screamed and shouted so much in this match. I was standing up throughout the entire thing. I'm so happy I was in the back row of the lower tier from from this point of view. And when Osprey hit the Tiger Driver ninety one, which kind of was like almost like a Gonzo bomb in a way where. Omega literally just kind of almost spiked head down and a really bad looking angle. I I lost my mind. I I shouted so loudly. It looked brutal from the angle I was sitting at, just looking at the ring. Having looked at the having looked at a replay of it on Twitter, God, that looked brutal so much. But ultimately, the biggest moment of this match was when. Osprey was in complete control. He hit the one-winged angel on Omega, and there was just this collective feeling that was it. That the match was done. That's it. Over. And then we get one, two, and Omega just gets his foot on the rope, and it was like someone had just lit, lit a match like that, and the entire building was going mental. It was an incredible reaction. I was going mental myself at this. Everyone around me started standing up as well. Everyone was so into this up until right up until the end. And when Osprey ultimately got the win, it was one of those things where everyone kind of had that thought of, oh God, I really wanted Omega to win. But at the same time, you know this is going to lead to a third match somewhere down the road. A lot of people around me were saying, do you think this will happen in London? And I went, maybe. It may just be the Tokyo Dome again. Maybe, who knows? But this match... Th- this match was just incredible. I can't... I, it, This is bad because this is a podcast, but I cannot put into words truly how much of a special experience this was to be there in person for this, to feel that emotion from the crowd, to almost, again, like being in the away team section, because it was part of me at one point that just decided, I really want Osprey to win this so badly. I felt like, in football terms, being an Arsenal fan, it was like one of the big derby matches, like if it's an Arsenal-Tottenham game, and where you're just so into it, and you so badly want your team to win. And I w- I had that mentality. It just became that at some point in the match. When Don Callis started getting involved and was kind of going to not make it a fair fight, quote-unquote, I actually was getting annoyed at Callis, which I think a few of the fans around me were confused about. And I just said, no, I want this to be a fair fight. I don't want him to freaking get involved. And that kind of added a new layer to it as well. This, 
this was just utterly incredible. It's an experience I will not forget. It's something I am not going to... I'm going to make sure I don't forget. And I, my mind was blown after that. I didn't know how anything could possibly follow this, quite frankly. But the show must go on. And it ended up being Sting, Darby Allen, and Tetsuya Naito against Jericho, Guevara, and Suzuki. So, this was good fun. It was a bit chaotic, a little bit random in places, to say the least. There was a big moment where Sammy put Sting like through a table doing a 6.30, and I didn't see Sammy after that again in the match, so I, I hope he's okay, because he very clearly wasn't about anywhere. But Sting got up pretty much immediately, so I hope Sammy is okay. I've not looked it up online, admittedly, at the time I'm recording this, so, so hopefully all is well with that. But this was good fun, and in terms of being sort of like a come-down match from what we had just seen with Omega and Osprey, pretty much hardly anything could follow that, just putting it bluntly. But this was the kind of match that was a good palate cleanser in just sort of getting everyone sort of down from that ridiculous peak and just kind of bringing it down gradually. You know, there were some fun moments, some big moments in the match, but the crowd at this point, we were, we were definitely getting tired. That is undeniable. The, the Os- in fact, another note from the Osprey match, when I think the ring announcer said it had been 30 minutes, collectively around us, we just went, What? How is that 30 minutes? Because it had just flown by like that in a flash. We we couldn't believe 30 minutes had gone by. And part of me did wonder if they were going to do a 60-minute draw. Ultimately, obviously, they didn't. But the six-man tag I was talking about, though, really, really good fun. But it did have to follow that insane match with Omega and Osprey. Then we come to the main event. The dream match of Danielson and Okada. One of the so okay, there's a few sort of interesting feelings on this because there was a proper tension in the air for this just because we didn't know what what was going to happen. Quite frankly, there was no with Omega and Osprey, and I hate to phrase it like this, but hopefully this will make sense. There was a feeling in the air that it wouldn't surprise anyone if Osprey won because it would lead to a third match. And then that would be sort of the rubber match, if you will, the tiebreaker, as Osprey himself put it in the media scrum after the show. So it was, it wasn't, people were like obviously annoyed if you're a Canadian, but it was unsurprising in that sense. But then when it came to this match, nobody knew what to expect going in. We didn't know if we were going to get just a proper bolster wall brawl. Was it going to be mainly a bit more of a technical thing? We didn't know what to expect, other than the fact that, right, come on, this is why we're here. This is one of the big two reasons why we are in this building. We're going to enjoy this as much as we can, no matter how tired we are all feeling at this point. Then Brian Danielson's music hit, and it's not his traditional music. And then you suddenly hear the opening notes of the final countdown by Europe. And this building lost its effing mind. I lost my mind. I couldn't believe this was happening. It was such a special moment. Just for anyone who's a long-time Ring of Honor fan or prior to, to Danielson going to WWE, this meant something... This was something really special and really unique. And it's not something I actually thought I would ever see happen again. I'm pretty sure I saw it 
back in the day in old Ring of Honor shows, like when they did the UK tour stuff. I'm sure I've heard it then, but that was a long time ago. And I just didn't think I'd ever see this kind of thing happen again with this moment. And this was so, so special. Then Okada comes out, and the, 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 the cheers are probably just as loud, if anything. And then the two are just in the ring opposite each other. And the tension, you could just... It's like a, a hot knife through butter. Like, you could just easily just cut that tension. It was insane. And then the match gets going, and from where I was, and this is my experience, so I don't know perhaps how this came across on TV with perhaps amplified microphones and such around, but there was just a tension of watching and not waiting to see what was going to happen, but just, just taking it in, just soaking it all in. With the Omega and Osprey match, I was heavily invested in that match to a completely different degree, or a different level, as it were. But with this match, I was invested in it in that I wanted to just take in everything I was watching. I was just, I was almost internally analyzing everything I was seeing, just really trying to soak in the moment. And part of me thinks a lot of people also did that because to me, the crowd reaction was, I mean, it was nowhere near what Omega and Osprey was, but not because people weren't into it. It was almost, oh, this is a weird comparison to make, but traditionally people have said that Japanese wrestling crowds could be crowds, excuse me, can be very quiet or perhaps a bit more respectful as to what they're watching in front of them. They'll react when needed. This kind of had that mentality and that everyone was just watching to see what was going to happen. Then there were big moments happening in the match. There was moments when they went to the outside and Okada did, did the pile driver on the ramp and such. Big moments like that. Danielson avoiding the Rainmaker Laria and such. There were all these bit, these little big moments that were just gradually building up the tension and such. And then it comes to what ended up being the finishing sequence. Where at this point as well, Danielson was holding his arm to his side and I thought... Oh, I hope you're not injured. And it turns out he actually did, like, fracture his forearm, apparently. I and mean, when it was when Okada did an elbow drop from the top, so not even just a freak accident, literally. So he's going to be out six to eight weeks, but hopefully that will heal well. And hopefully he'll be okay for all in London, too. But we're getting to this finishing sequence, and Danielson is just stretching Okada. He's got his arms both bent behind him. And I start saying to people, he can't get out of this, surely. And there was the guy sort of just next to me kind of just going, nah, he's going to get his foot on the rope, just you watch. And I just went, I don't know. Like, when's the last time Okada submitted? Like, we, were, we, didn't, we, just, we didn't know. And there was just that moment when on the big screen above the ring, this is one of the times I actually looked at the big screen because I wanted to get a proper decent view as to what the submission was like and the way Okada's arms were just being folded behind him. And the camera angle was just mwah, chef's kiss of a camera angle. You could just literally see Okada's hand like just being contorted and stuff. And you just saw him suddenly just start tapping his leg. Or tapping his arm. I don't know what it was at this point. Again, brain's a bit foggy with everything that happened. And when you saw that tap happening and I looked down to the ring and I could see it there. And then Danielson let go. Everyone was just like, what? <laughs> Because no one had it on their bingo card that Okada may tap to Brian Danielson. He would be forced to submit. And uh, in speaking to, 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 to my mate James after, 
he said he looked it up on his phone. Okada last submitted in a match in 2015. That's how long ago it was since Okada last submitted in a match. This is a huge deal. And this match, again, it, it felt very different in the arena. Compared to Omega and Osprey, it was, a, it was totally different. This was still a great match. There was part of me at first that thought, did this live up to the hype? And I can't answer it. This might be another match I go back and watch. I had a fantastic time with it. I don't know what other people's reactions online have been, but there was just a feeling in the air of, oh my God, we, we just saw that happen. And in a way, the more significant part about it was the fact that Okada tapped and the people got to hear the final countdown again, which, cynically, someone said to me, yeah, it makes sense. If you're going to pay a load of money to get the final countdown right, you don't want to play it once, do you? So <laughs> there was part of me that thought, eh, you're not wrong. But this was... This show was phenomenal. And I appreciate having said I'm not going to go through every match. I now have. But that's just the way it went, folks. This is very much just a stream of consciousness. But this... I, I'm going to say this. I made a conscious decision to come to this show because it's something I really cared about. If you are someone from the UK listening or, or watching this, or you're someone from abroad who has the opportunity to go to any AEW show, don't pass up on it. I have zero regrets coming to the show. I have had an experience I will never forget. And all in London at Wembley Stadium is coming up in August. And that is already going to be incredibly special. If you are in, if you can get to London, don't miss that show. Something truly special is going to happen there. And will that show top this? It's a completely different animal. That's going to be a 65, 70,000 crowd versus an arena, if you will. But this, for what it represents in professional wrestling, is something really genuinely special. My, my fandom of wrestling... Not to say it peaked with this show, but this is definitely a peak. If you imagine, like, you, this is a weird analogy. You imagine you're, like, on a bike at a gym, and you activate, like, the hills program. So as you're going along the bike route, you're sort of going up and down hills, if you will. This is definitely one of the peaks of the hill right now. This is the peak. We, we cannot top that. The only way now is to come down for a little bit. It's just to ride down that hill. And it's going to be a fun ride down that hill leading up to All in London. But Forbidden Door was a phenomenal show. If you've not seen it, go out of your way to watch it. If you could only watch select matches, I would say watch Danielson Okada, watch Omega Osprey, watch the 10-man tag with the Blackpool Combat Club and the Elite, and watch the international title match four-way. Watch those. They're such, such good fun. If those are the only ones you have time to watch in the short term watch those if you can with that being said folks i think i, I think i am actually going to wrap that up here but thank you very much for listening and or watching i hope you've enjoyed the show if you have why not hit that subscribe button or on your platform of choice why not leave a rating or a review or you can comment of course below in the youtube comments as well if you want to find bunker mania on twitter you can do so at bunker mania uk as mentioned i'll probably have some more podcasts coming because i will be going to dynamite and collision later this week in hamilton ontario so i'll probably do either a podcast about each or i'll just do one combined one about the experience of going to both of them before i then fly back to the uk later this week i will also try and do 
some kind of extra podcast as well, talking about my, my experience at Collision on Saturday night, because I want to do it more from the perspective of the differences I experienced between being at Dynamite in Chicago last week and then Collision in Toronto this week. Kind of from a production point of view, and what I noticed about how the show's felt how different they were and such and kind of their their respective presences because there there are some big differences in some cases of how the shows unfolded and sort of the experience of all but after having been at well i got into forbidden into the arena for forbidden door at gone was it what did i say 6 15 p.m the show last night everybody ended gone midnight i did not leave that building until midnight last night that is how long this was. The night before, at Collision, what would it have been? We got in... Well, the show didn't finish till gone 11 o'clock. And I think Collision itself started at 8 and we were in the building by maybe half 5 or 6. So, been a long weekend, as it were. Been a long week, but it has been fantastic. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to me discuss this. If you have any specific questions about perhaps particular moments during Forbidden Door from a live event perspective, uh, do let me know. Do put them in the comments below, as mentioned, and I will do my best to answer them accordingly. But with that being said, thank you very much for listening and or watching. See you next time on Bunkermania Wrestling.